0: Of you in one way or another were served in the last week, especially in the last week. Um, it's likely that someone cooked for you or cleaned for you or washed dishes for you. Somebody worked to earn money uh, to pay for the things you ate and enjoyed. Someone uh, even cleaned leaves out of your street unless your pickup day was Thursday uh, and then you got skipped. That's our day. So we have Huge piles of leaves in front of our house, in fact, um, but they'll get, they'll get removed eventually. Um, police and fire protected you. Teachers taught your kids. Men and women came down your alley and picked up your garbage. You paid them, but that's still a form of service, isn't it? You were served in so many ways, some of which you're probably not even aware of and might have to really think about. You did, any, um, did any plane... We live right near one of the busiest airports in the world. Any planes crashed on your house this weekend, this week? None, none crashed on mine. We were served by air traffic controllers and pilots who know their jobs. If you just begin to think of all of the ways that we are served, um, it's amazing. And you know what? It's nice being served, isn't it? Anybody not like being served? Just raise your hand. Just... Anybody you like being served, <laughs> all the kids especially, the, most of the kids are out of here, but if they were here, they'd raise their hand. We like being served. I want to take a look at a couple definitions. To serve, to perform duties and services. I think these are up here. I don't remember. It was kind of a crazy week. Some of the stuff I think I wrote made it to, into the final copy for Jordan. Some may not have. But the word to serve means to perform duties or services for another to perform duties or services for another. Another definition of serve is this, to be of use in achieving or satisfying something. And the word servant, you'll notice our phrase for the day, the phrase that pays. I'm going to put it up on this screen as well, just in case it's not displayed in enough places in the building. I am a servant, right? The word servant, a person who performs duties for others, especially a person employed in a house or on domestic duties or as a personal attendant. And there's the rub, isn't it? Because that doesn't sound like fun to me, to be employed uh, performing duties for others. And we're like, I don't really like that idea. I don't mind if people serve me, um, but, but for me to serve another, that's where the rub becomes apparent, and we tend to balk at serving. Now, if you've been following this series at all, the idea of servant and I am a servant should be very familiar to you in the very, well, it wasn't the first, it was the second message of the series. The first, you remember, was out of Acts. It kind of gave us the background. But the second message of the series, which was the first message out of Philippians, we discussed two I am statements about believers in Christ. You remember what they were? I am a servant was one. Do you guys remember the other? Anybody remember the other? Somebody turn to Philippians chapter 1 real quick and read the verse. Verse 1. Help me out here. Okay, well, while you're looking, I'm going to tell you saints. Do you remember? We are servants and we are saints. Well, Paul returns to this theme. Um, We may have to go back to chapter 1 next week and start over again. I am a servant and I am a saint, but Paul returns to revisiting the servant theme again uh, in chapter 2, and he does it using Christ as a model of action and thinking for this thematic visit, uh, revisit, if you will, to the idea of being a servant. So let's take a look, chapter 2, Philippians, we're going to read verses 5 through 11. You can see we're picking up speed a little bit. It took us like eight weeks to get out of uh, chapter 1. Uh, chapter 2, we're making a lot of headway. It says this, Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, get these words into our heart, Lord, today, uh, and help us uh, begin to learn and understand what the attitude and mindset of Christ was so that it can be ours as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage says there's a proper attitude or or a proper mindset, if you will, for being a follower of Christ, and that attitude or mindset is the very attitude or mindset of Christ Himself. So if you ever wonder what should my attitude be, it should be the attitude of Christ. What should my mind be? What should my thoughts be? What should my concerns be? It should be those of Christ. Last week, Paul showed us in Philippians and in 1 Corinthians, we should have the mind of Christ. And this week, he is unpacking for us what that mindset looks like. So we're going to unpack this. If there's an attitude or a mindset of Christ, we should understand what it is. Uh, We should be able to uh, speak about it. We should be able to know what it is and begin to follow it and see it play out in our lives. This attitude this morning that we're going to inspect Has four aspects, four characteristics, if you will, but first let's define the word attitude. Uh, Some of us uh, use it in a certain way, and it's like, man, you've got an attitude. That's not what we're talking about here. Anybody said that to you this week? Just, yeah, just be honest. It was Thanksgiving Day, and somebody said, man, you've got an attitude. That's not what we're talking about. The attitude we're talking about is this a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically, one that is reflected in a person's behavior. So your attitude, your thoughts, your understandings about something play out in the way that you act and behave. The idea of a mindset has the word attitudes in it. It is an established set of attitudes held by someone. So when we talk about having the attitude or mindset of Christ, we're talking about adopting into our lives the very set of attitudes that are held by Christ. So let's try to understand what some of those attitudes are this morning. An attitude or a mindset, simply put, is this. A way of thinking that's reflected in your behavior. A way of thinking that's reflected in your behavior. So to understand this, we need to understand what Christ's attitude was. First, it says, uh, Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Uh, in other words, God is greater. And I think we would all agree with that. Um, I'm going to read out of John uh, Chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, and this is actually, it's interesting how much like the songs and the message and Advent and all these things kind of tie together. The message ties in here beautifully because this chapter of John is the gospel message of Christmas, and it says this starting in verse 14 of chapter 1. In John it says, the true light which gives gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. The Word became flesh, Emmanuel. Now you know why we sang that song you see how all these things tie together? And they don't happen by accident. I, I, we, we, we structure all of this and pull all this together from the Scripture reading to Advent to songs so that, that, that we can drive this deep into your hearts and your minds so that you go away today singing a song that reiterates something you heard read or spoken. But first, Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Second, Christ emptied Himself. Um we struggle with this a little bit because um, it's a little strange that God would send His Son to earth and that He would basically humiliate Himself. If you think about it, Christ emptied Himself of a lot of things in coming out of heaven and stepping down into the earth. Um, He became weak. He became limited. He became human. He was limited to a place and a time. He wasn't everywhere at once. Um, He was smelly. He got tired. He had to take naps. He had to rest. He had to go away to recover. He had a body that was imperfect. While he was perfect and while he was God and while he was sinless, he was human in the form of man while he was God at the same time, but his human body had the same limitations that ours did, and he was tempted, yet did not give in to temptation. And he did this in order to reach us. Christ emptied himself of some things to get close to us. John 17, 1 through 5, talks about the reversal of this process. He says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come "'Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth.'" Listen to what he says, "'Having accomplished the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed.'" Now, we know from Scripture, going back all the way to the Old Testament, Genesis, that Jesus was present with God in the creation. He was God. He was with God in the beginning. Um, He is in this human form, and he's saying, Lord, I've done your work. I've followed your commandments. I've been obedient and will be obedient unto death. Now glorify me. Bring me back. (laughs) Call me back to heaven and, and refill me with the glory that is your glory that I'll once be... Once again, be glorified in your presence. Here's the progression. Christ was fully God in the beginning. Being in the very nature of God, Scripture says, He was with God at the beginning of time in creation. He said, I was with you before the world began. He became fully man while being God at the same time. It says, being made in human likeness, having made Himself nothing. And then we know He returned to His Father God in heaven and resumed uh, and reassumed His glorious self. He says, Father, glorify me once again in your presence. So he emptied himself. Christ. Uh, the third point here: Christ took on the nature of a servant. We're going to come back to these. We're going to we're going to move through all these one more time after we kind of become uh, acquainted with Christ's mindset. We'll see how these translate into our mindset. But he took on the nature of a servant. There's a there's a story in John thirteen. Uh, before the feast of the Passover, uh, Jesus was going to share a meal with the disciples, and in the course of sharing the meal, he stood up from the table, and he knew his time was coming soon, and he took off his outer garments, and he had undergarments on under that. It says he took a towel, he wrapped it around himself, and he began to systematically wash the disciples' feet one by one by one. Um, not something we're accustomed to. We don't do that in our culture because we wear shoes and socks. In that culture, uh, they wore sandals uh, or maybe no shoes at all. They had dirty feet when it went into the house of a friend or or whoever, uh, they would often have somebody of low stature, a servant, somebody who was accustomed to personal duties in the house of serving the master who would come, and he would clean the feet of the visitors, the guests, and the travelers. Um, Now, Jesus takes and he begins to wash these feet. He comes to Peter, and uh, Peter, being Peter, (laughs) right, says, whoa, (laughs) what's going on? are you going to wash my feet, Jesus? Uh, never. You'll never wash my feet. Peter was pretty uh, impulsive. And, and Jesus said to him, he said, if, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part in me. And then, of course, impulsive Peter responds by saying, well, not just my feet then, but my head and my hands also. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, if you've had a bath, you're clean, except not your feet because you've been traveling. So let me clean your feet. And so he washed his feet. Uh, he finished washing took his towel off, reassumed his clothing, sat back down at the table, and he says, now you understand why I've done this. He says, uh, I'm the servant for you, although I am God's son. I'm the master, but it's not below me to serve. And then he says, I've been a model to you. I've been an example to you. Have you seen me serve you doing the lowest of the low thing, washing feet? He says, Now I command you to go do the likewise. Go do the same. Serve others, serve each other, serve the world. And he says this he says, There is no one greater than the master, not even the servant. There's no one greater than the messenger. Uh, than the one who sent him. And he says this, he says, if you know these things, if you understand these things, you'll be blessed by them. Now, Christ became obedient, that's the the fourth point here, to death on even a cross. This is the gospel message. Uh, Christ came and he died. We celebrate Christmas. We talk about the infant child and His coming, and we think about Mary and Joseph and their travels and their trials and the birth of Jesus and His youth and His, his young life, and we, we celebrate that and we think about that, especially at Christmas. But don't forget the story of Christmas is really the story of Easter because we don't think about, at least we shouldn't in our minds, think about Christ the baby. That came and went. <laughs> Now He's Christ the Redeemer. He died for our sins on the cross. He went to the grave. He was buried. He stayed there dead three days, and then God, in His power, raised Him as a victor over sin and over death. And then after talking with the disciples for you know, a short period of time, He ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of the Father even now. That's what the gospel is all about that Christ came for you and for me to carry that sin debt to the cross. That if we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He can make us right before the Father. When the Father looks at us, He'll see us through the lens of Christ, and Christ will say, He's one of mine. She's one of mine. I I died for that one. They're mine, Dad, and they're also yours. That's what the gospel story is about. So Paul said these attitudes, these four attitudes of Christ should be our attitudes. They should be building blocks, if you will, of our mindset. And that's where the rubber really hits the road for us, isn't it? Because we looked at these attitudes, now we need to know, how do I see these incorporated in my life? How do I see the, the change in my mind and in my attitude um, so that when Christ comes again uh, or we meet Him in heaven, He doesn't say, Man, you have an attitude. But instead, he says, "Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your man, your, your your um your master's happiness." So these four mindsets, I'm going to phrase them as we statements. We, or they could also be I statements, um, but we're gonna we're gonna phrase them today as we statements. And the first one is this: We are not God. Did you know that? Everybody was like, "Ugh." I came for this. We're not God. I already knew that. (laughs) Anybody, you hurt yourself today? Stub your toe? uh, Something bad happened? And and, and, yeah, there's there's so many things um, that if we were God, we wouldn't allow those things to happen, right? Anybody, you wished you were God on the way here, and somebody cut you off, and you can call down some lightning from heaven, right? We're not. We're not God, and it's good that we're not God. We shouldn't struggle with this part. If you're struggling. Under the illusion that you're God, we have a completely different issue here. But we act like it sometimes, don't we? We act like it. We act like it in our own lives and in our own desires and in our own direction, our own will. Um, we'd like to be in charge. And that's really when it comes down to it, that's the battle of, of the, the, the human life, isn't it? The battle in this life is the battle of self. We want to be in charge. We want to be our own little G-God. God wants to be our big G-God and for us to, to give all to Him. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 55, 8, 9, because um, God's not really anything like us. Listen to what it says. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Okay, easy point, right? We're not God. We can, we can accept point one. Point two says, Christ made himself nothing. So our we statement is this, we become nothing. Now, the first one was easy, right? I'm not God. Okay, I get that. But become nothing? We don't, we don't really like that idea, do we? Because we want to be something. We want to be someone. We want to accomplish something. We want to get to the end of our life and look back and say, wow, I really did something. I made something. I I created something. I accomplished something. I am someone. But instead, if we are to have the mind of Christ, if you will, the mindset of Christ, one of those building blocks uh, of that mindset is realizing that we are nothing. Remember back to last week and putting others before themselves. I'm going to read that uh, before ourselves. It says Philippians 2:4. Let each of you. Look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. We become nothing in order to serve others. That's what part of being a servant is. You lower your desires, you lower your will. Those things become back burner as you become obedient to Christ and what he wants and what he desires become forefront. We have to get uh, our, our, our mental self-image of who we are correct in the eyes of the Father. The third point says, Christ took on the very nature of a servant. So, the we, I didn't, I didn't do we, but I did I, I am a servant. We are servants. We are servants. That means putting others again before ourselves. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. Isn't that interesting? Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks of oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything may be glorified through Jesus Christ. If you have received gifts, and Scripture says each of you and each of us have, use those gifts for yourself. No. Use those gifts to serve others. Use those gifts to serve others. So are you serving others with your gifts. Galatians 5, uh, 13 through 15 says, You were called for f- to freedom, brothers, only do not your, use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't use your freedom for yourself, to, to your own ends, but instead, through love, serve one another. Serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I love that. The whole uh, of the word of the law is fulfilled in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. shall love your neighbor as yourself. How hard is that? Just being honest. Depends on, how, on who your neighbor is, right? <laughs> you remember there was that question in Scripture when... Uh, the, the teacher of the law questioned Jesus and said, who's my neighbor? Jesus told him a story. Yeah. Who is your neighbor? It's everyone. It's your physical neighbors. It's the people at work. It's your friends. It's your family. It's your enemies. It's the men, uh, The people in your family that you don't like. Uh, it's It's everyone. We take on... The nature of a servant by becoming a servant to others. And in that last point, it says, Christ became obedient even unto death. This one gets hard um, because we become obedient even unto death. The calling of the Christian is literally the call to take up the cross of Christ. If you think about it, remember Luke 9.23, it says to take up your cross. Um, the cross was an, and, and still is considered an instrument of death, that was the only reason the cross was created. Uh, they took a piece of crossbeam, they put it on a post, and they hammered or tied somebody to it and crucified them. That's what it was for. So, um, you know, the cross has kind of become the, the symbol of Christianity. We wear it as jewelry sometimes. Um, it's kind of a weird thing. If you start to think about it, it'd be kind of like hanging a gun on the wall. Somebody's I mean, got some gun earrings. Probably somebody in here has some gun earrings. Some sword. So, do you have some? No. <laughs> She's like, but that's a good idea. No, I'm kidding. But just think about the strangest instrument of death, you know, like a hand grenade. I got a hand grenade necklace, uh, a bear trap. I got some bear trap earrings. That actually might be kind of cool if they clamped over your ears. I don't know, but how weird is that, right? But but if you think about it, it's the same with the cross. It's the symbol of Christianity because it reminds us of what Christ did for us, but it is an instrument of death. The call to live as Christ is the call to die for Christ. Did you guys catch that? The call to live as Christ is the call to die for Christ. And it can be physical death. It can also be death to my way, my desires, my will, my dreams in order to become obedient, emptied, if you will, to what the Father has for me. And sometimes don't we have to do that before the Father can really get to us? Don't we really just have to like empty out? Okay, God, we have to, we have to put our stuff on the table. Here's my ideas. Here's my dreams. Here's how I thought life was going to turn out. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly, put it on the table and say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to say, you know, that, that's kind of what I was thinking. Well, what were you thinking? Uh, and, then, and then allow him to fill you with the new idea of who you will be. I guarantee you it'll be different than that stuff you lay out there. Galatians 2, chapter 20 says, uh, this is Paul speaking uh, when he wrote the Church of Galatia. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. The call of the Christian to accept Christ as Lord and Savior and follow Christ as Lord and Savior and be obedient to Christ as Lord and Savior is a calling to die to self. My will, my desire, my ways, my things. And as we noted last week in the video we watched about the IMB missionaries, um, and there are other missionary organizations besides the International Mission Board, there are missionaries that go to the field and die. That happens. Um, there are our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world in countries where Christianity is not tolerated who meet in secret, um, lose their lives over it. Smuggle Bibles, um, all kinds of different things. You can read uh, about some of those kinds of things. Um, uh, If you want more information, I can connect you with some resources on that. Um, But there's a very real sense to Paul's teaching here that the the call to follow Christ is a call to die. And in fact, uh, we know from church history that the apostles all died in varying ways. And so have many other Christians throughout church history died for their faith. So when Paul said, (laughs) I've been crucified with Christ and I'm calling you to follow me into death, he was speaking from a man who probably deep down inside knew he was going to eventually be put to death for his faith. Is that how serious we are about our faith? Would you follow Christ into death? If you knew today that when we walked out the front door, the police were across the street photographing all of us as we left. And they were going to show up on the doorstep this afternoon and say, I thought I saw you at church this morning. I'll give you a chance to tell me you weren't there. What would you do? That's very real for people in other countries. That's very real. It won't be real for us today. We'll walk out the door. If there's any police out in the park, they will wave. They sit in our parking lot and watch the street corner there and I don't know if they give people tickets or what they do, I don't know. They're friendly. We have good relationship with our village and and, and the village government and public works and the schools and um, in a lot of ways we are are extremely blessed. Um, Again, served in ways we don't even know or count. But the call to follow Christ, the call to take on the attitude of Christ the call to, to see built and lived out within us the mindset of Christ is a calling that is like no other. We have to realize our position before God and before all others is one of obedient servant. We have to serve. We have to begin to love to serve. So I want to leave you with a question, question to think, question to ponder. I gave you some and you probably thought you'll be thinking about those as well. Question to ponder today, am I really involved serving others? Am I really involved serving others and serving God? If I sat down with a sheet of paper or a spreadsheet and I calendared out all my hours this week and I totaled up hours on cooking, cleaning, Netflix, laundry, (laughs) serving others, serving God, What would, and you did it in a chart, was like a bar chart, you know bar charts where the hours would be like, you know, like Netflix would be like this, right? And reading my Bible would be like this, and Hulu, and Prime, and HBO Max. I'm I'm being a little fussy, it's just Facebook. What would that graph, what would that bar graph look like? Maybe that's, maybe that could be your, take that home with you write a bar graph, write a bar chart, calculate your hours. Obviously, one of the biggest ones I hope is going to be sleep. God said we should rest, right? So there's going to be a big block of rest. That'd be a good one. But what do the rest of those bars look like? Be honest with yourself and begin to really see, uh, am I simply going through motions, Christian motions, or am I living as Christ It's a simple question. As soon as I asked the answer, you knew, am I really serving others? Am I serving God? You knew the answer already. You probably don't need to go home and make a bar graph. You probably already know. Am I living like this life is about me? Am I living out my desires and my will? Or do I consider and follow God's will and desires on a consistent basis? before my own man that's heavy that's heavy that's what Paul was writing to the Philippians and thank God it was written down and it came to us so that we can ponder that and we can question that and we can wrestle with that because that's this is getting at the real of the Christian life the reality of what Christian life really is am I living as Christ Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your message today. We thank you for the words of Paul in Philippians, even though we don't like the idea of being a servant, um, and we, we balk, and we, um, we pull against that uh, at times. Lord, you have called us as Christians to follow you, and you have called us as Christians to... Some pretty specific things. I'm going to read as we pray. I think prayer can be two-way, and sometimes when you pray, the Lord says something to you in the middle of your prayer. It just reminded me in Luke uh, 9.23, I should just read this. He says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross daily and follow me. So the call, Lord, as you've expressed it to us, is the call to die for you, to die to self. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And Lord, the call to follow you is the call to take up an instrument of death called a cross daily daily. Um, Obviously, Lord, you don't mean we need to form or fashion a wooden cross and carry it around with us, but Lord, that we pick up and live in this Christian life, and that in the midst of those things, the thing we do at the end of that says, follow me, that we are obedient, Lord, in following you. Lord, I pray that in this season as uh, Thanksgiving is behind us and Christmas is in front of us and we're in the midst of Advent and we're thinking about a lot of different things and going a lot of different directions and stuff is happening and uh, maybe even a little bit the world seems like it's out of control. It's been out of control for a couple years now, it feels like. Maybe some of us feel like it's been out uh, for much longer. Um, But the reality, Lord, is that it's always been this way. Um, This is just our lot uh, in, in the 2020s and then the 2010s, um, but Christians before us had had equally troubling times, equally troubling uh, issues, equally troubling politics, equally troubling uh, sexual questions. Um, Lord, you have told us very clearly that our call is to follow you, to deny ourselves. And to take up that cross. So Lord, as we take up our crosses today and this week, um, Lord, whatever they be, whatever they might be, um, may we honor you in the obedience of carrying them. And Lord, as Paul is going to continue unpacking Philippians in the days to come, as we gather, I pray that you'll continue to knit together for us a cohesive picture of Paul's calling to the Philippian church of how to follow you and to love you and to have your mindset, And Lord, that you would do the same in us that Paul so much desired to have happen in the church in Philippi, um, that we would be saints, followers of Christ, that we would be servants of the Most High God and of one another. And that, Lord, you would see those things borne out in us in a special way, in a way that we can't look back and say, I did that but in a way that only you could do and only you could accomplish in us. Lord, we're welcome to that. We're asking for that. We desire to know you and to be obedient to you. And so, Lord, we pray for the mindset and attitude of Christ to be fulfilled in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.